Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. Y'all, y'all look a little worried. I'm on the other side of the stage because I wanted to meet these guys. So, hi, I'm Chris. Nice to meet you. <laughs> you all stand up. We're going to sing together. We wanted to start the service a little differently, though. We're just going to read as a church uh, together this passage of scripture just to remind us why we're here. Um, so, if you guys will read this out with me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. All right, let's sing out together. Join in the chorus of this world. 
standard of the service is admitting that we have a problem. It's something that recovery groups actually stole from Christianity, um, that you got to start on the road to recovery by admitting that there's something wrong. And we call this confession. Um, as we sing that song, it reminds me of the theme in the scripture that all of creation praises God for how great he is, uh, except for one part of creation, and that's us, this humanity. We, we rebel, and we neglect to praise God. We neglect to do what's right. We neglect to do the things that are good. And so we join every week as we sing praises to God, also admitting that before Him, thanking Him for His grace and His forgiveness, and moving forward in new life because He forgives us and He sets us free from that rebellion. In Galatians 6 it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness that's so clearly revealed to us in creation. We thank you that you've made us. Lord, we confess that we have rebelled against your goodness, against your beautiful plan, that we would be your image bearers, that we would reflect your glory in this world. 
Lord, we thank you, though, that you've forgiven us for that rebellion, that you took our sins upon yourself on the cross to set us free. And so, Lord, I pray that that would empower us to not grow weary in doing good, but to continue to trust in your love and your grace to strengthen us, to turn us back around, to use us to do good. Lord, we pray and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
God, what a love of such great worth. God, that you, a holy, perfect God, stoop down to love us, lowly sinners, God, that call us your own. Lord, help us to never take that for granted. God, and as we worship you, Lord, help us to take hold of your love. God, so that in confidence we may approach your throne and ask you to make us more like you. God, help us to hear your word now. Lord, we pray that you will help us to make the most of it, not be hearers only, but doers. In your name I pray. Amen. service was actually more awake than you this, uh, this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to follow along, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And if you don't have one, we have some under the chairs. We're on page 996 in those black Bibles. If you don't have one at home, you're, you're welcome to keep one of those as well if you need one. Um, but we have been working through both Titus and 2 Timothy uh, to understand God's plan for the church. We're calling the Second Timothy series Carry On, and we're looking at the idea that, that Paul is about to die and he's passing on this information to Timothy and to future churches about how to keep this thing going, how to protect uh, this treasure of the gospel, of the good news that we have in Jesus, and how to multiply that out into other communities and other churches. And we've called it Carry On. And we picked these books and we picked this kind of topic of study uh, for this new year because we've been engaging in strategic planning as a church. Uh, we are about to turn four years old as a church. Can you believe that? Uh, four years old, and uh, it's, I guess, August will be our birthday. We're, we're transitioning kind of in this weird phase from being a, a baby church to being like an awkward adolescent, I think is kind of where we are as a church. Uh, we kind of have the appearance of maturity, but not all the maturity is really there. And so we've been engaging in strategic planning as a leadership body. We've been trying to uh, discern from God his direction for the future of this church. Some of the things we've shared with you already, we've, we've, uh, focusing, we're focusing in on a kind of a renewed commitment to community uh, as we draw more and more people, as God just keeps bringing people to this church and, and our numbers here on Sunday morning continue to explode, uh, God's put it on our heart that we want to connect people in real community, that we don't want you to just shake a hand on Sunday morning and hear God's word taught, which is good, and, and sing praises to God, which is good, but we also want you to connect uh, in kind of life-on-life -life relationships with each other. And so we've continued to kind of beat that drum this new year. That's one of the big pieces of our strategic plan. Another piece is hiring uh, Stephen Watson, my assistant, full-time, and that, that'll uh, be exciting. I've been the only full-time employee through the history of the church. We'll have a second full-time employee and several part-time employees that continue to work with us. And so that's exciting uh, just to be able to handle the workload. Uh, do a better job with that, uh, maybe get even a little more organized. Those of you that know me well know that's not my gift, um, so hopefully Stephen can help me with that. Um, another thing that we're looking at in the fall is a third service, an evening service. Um, over the summer, it'll be kind of weird, because over the summer what happens is generally our numbers drop off quite a bit, so it doesn't look like we need the space, but what we found is, is that through the spring we're full, you know, in the fall we're full, and we've, we've done this now for a couple of years. Uh, so we're looking at starting a third service in the evening uh, to give other people an option to go. And what I'd ask of you is to pray about being a part of that. We need some missionaries, some pioneers that are willing to break out from the safety of Sunday morning worship and maybe try a 5 p.m. or an evening worship uh, where we'll have the same service and same sermon and same songs, but hopefully different people and we'll be able to hopefully open the doors to other people that, that wouldn't already be able to come because the church is full. Like I said, there will be plenty of room probably over June, and then we kind of start filling up as we get closer to the school year again. So it won't look like we'll need the extra service here next month, um, but we've seen, like I said, the cycle over the last two years and feel like that's the best way to, to really continue to open the door so more people can continue to hear God's word. Um, so there's a lot of other things going on. Feel free to ask us about that. We're going to try to kind of keep sharing what God's put on our heart and different things that we're instituting um, and you could ask any of the, the deacons or elders or staff members, and, and uh, hopefully we know what those plans are. We can share those with you. Um, we're looking at, at uh, chapter 4, and what I've done is I've taken what was the last verse of last week where, where Paul was charging Timothy to do the work and to hang in there and to keep going and to keep preaching the word, 
And that's really now a transition where Paul told him to endure. That's the title of this week's message, is Endure. He tells Timothy, endure, keep, keep going. And then he explains how he, Paul, has endured. And then he gives his own example, talks about what he's gone through. And I think what this is answering, the, the, the question that this is answering, is that a lot of us are confused when hard times come. Because a lot of us have been sold this kind of twisted gospel that says if you follow Christ, if you receive Christ, everything's going to be good right now. And that's not really the true gospel. The gospel is that God promises you eternal life. He, he gives you freedom from your sin and you look forward to a future where that will be complete. Where your body will be renewed, where everything will be perfect, where everything will be made right. But now he calls you to follow him in giving of yourself, following in Jesus footsteps to suffer as Jesus did for others, to continue to bring that message of future hope to others. And that's really the call of the gospel. We see in Psalm 1 and in Jeremiah 17 this clear message that, that the righteous are the people that, that dig down their roots and trust in the promises of God's word. And that those people are going to be like trees planted by streams of water. And what it says in both of those chapters is then when the drought and the bad times come, they will still have life. They will still bear fruit. And what that means is that bad times will come. Hard times are to come. It means that, that trusting in Christ doesn't eliminate the bad circumstances. The bad circumstances are still going to come. And our call as followers of Christ is to trust in Him and to endure through those difficult times, to see ourselves as a sacrifice being given for others, looking forward to this future hope when all things will be made right. And Paul, of course, says it much better than I can. So let's look at uh, chapter 4. We'll read verses 5 through verse 8. He says, As for you, always be sober-minded and endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So this is where he's challenging Timothy, saying, hang in there. And he says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us, that you would teach us how to endure, how to continue to walk with you even when difficult times come, how to continue to trust in you and to know that you are with us no matter what. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I remember the summer of 1988 as a time when I had to endure. I don't know if any of you, anybody had a kid in 88 or anybody remember what 1988 was like. It was one of the hottest summers we've ever had. Um, it was in the middle of a three-year drought, 87, 88, 89. And that's really where the, the global warming uh, interest really started to heat up, if you'll forgive the pun. Um, but that's where it really started to get hot. You know, in the 70s, we thought the world was freezing. And then in the 80s, we started going, wait, no, it's getting hot. And, you know, they, they were kind of changing their minds then because, especially in 88, things were so hot. And that happened to be my first summer practicing with the varsity football team. I was a sophomore that year, and so sophomores, juniors, and seniors, even if you were no good like me, you still practiced with the varsity team. And we all went to these uh, two-a-day practices in the summer. So we're talking August, one of the hottest summers we've ever had, practicing football with all these, these full pads. What they would do with the two-day practice is you'd go practice for a few hours in the morning, then you would go home and cry for a little while, and then you'd come back and you'd practice a few more hours in the afternoon. And that was kind of how it worked. And, and I remember coming back to the locker room after three days in a row of 108-degree temperatures. We had practiced in 108-degree temperatures for three days in a row, and we were all dying. I mean, we were barely hanging on. I remember five of my friends that we'd played freshman ball together saying, that's it, I'm done. I'm out of here. This is stupid. This is not worth it. And guys were ready to walk out. And I remember my best friend inspiring me to hang on because he just, he looked at these guys and he's like, you're idiots. This is football. We all knew it was going to be hard. And I remember him telling them, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. We knew it was going to be hard. And my friend just saying, I'm not going to quit. I know it's going to be hard and I'm not going to quit. And that inspired me to endure when I saw the example of my friend. I saw my friend willing to hang in there. He didn't say, oh, it's going to be all sunshine and lollipops and it's all going to get better and it's going to be easy. No, he said, we know it's hard. We know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to hang in there. 
And, and that gave me the strength to go, well, if he can do it, I guess, you know, I guess I can do it. And I guess I can hang in there as well. And that's really what Paul is, is telling Timothy. Paul is saying, Timothy, hold on. Endure hardship. Endure suffering. It will get difficult. And he says, but Timothy, I've done it too. I've, I've suffered as well. I've walked this road myself. So he's telling Timothy, I'm not asking you, Timothy, to do something that I haven't myself already done. But I've endured as well, and now I'm calling on you to endure. There's a beautiful picture of, of this endurance and, and this idea that we saw in Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 of these trees uh, that endure difficulty. There's a beautiful picture of that in Oklahoma City. Anybody been to the, uh, the memorial in Oklahoma City where the bombing was? And there's this tree. It's an 80-year-old elm tree. They call it now Survivor Elm because when the explosion happened there in the uh, Murrah building, all the branches were just completely blown off of this tree. Everybody just took it to be dead. It was gray, covered in soot. All the branches were gone. There was no green left on it at all. But its roots were digging down into life under the earth. And it began to sprout again. And green shoots started to come out again. And now you have, once again, this living tree that continues to be green, that continues to have life. And it's inspiring to people. And, and Paul's saying that's, that's the picture, that you will face difficult times, but you'll endure. So that when you are ready to die, when you are ready to go, you can do so saying, I've, I've done what I needed to do. I endured. I hung in there. I continued to follow Christ. Paul says basically he's at the end of his life, and he can look back and say that he finished well. The language that he uses in verse 6, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, as a sacrifice. You know, in the old days, they would sacrifice animals, and then they would also sacrifice often a drink or wine that they would pour out on top of the animal sacrifice and this, this kind of barbecue that they would have as, as an honor to, to God or even pagan gods that did this as well, but in the Old Testament, to the true God. And, and so they would have these sacrifices. They would, they would pour out these sacrifices. And Paul says that's what's happening to him. And, and it's not like it's happening right that minute because we know later in, in the text he says, Timothy, come to me before winter. He just knows his days are numbered. He knows he's not going to get set free. He knows he's old, and he knows he's not going to get turned loose from this prison, and he knows that, that it's happening. And he's saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to die because I have endured. I have thrived even when the drought came. I've continued to live and do what God gave me to do. So now I am ready to go. Now I'm ready to, to finish because I've done what I was asked to do. It says, the time of my departure has come. And that's a, a figurative term that just means, you know, I'm ready to be turned loose. I'm ready to pass on to the next life. Uh, this term usually in Greek is used for a boat being turned loose, uh, being, you know, un, the rope being turned loose so it could be set free. And that's the term that, that Paul likes to use for death, that now he's being turned loose from this life. His departure is about to come, and he's about to go on to that future where all things are perfect, where all things are made right, that future hope that he has. He gives us three images here of what it, likes, what it looks like to endure, what it looks like to kind of hang in there and keep pushing and to keep going. And the first one is the fight. The first one is that we would fight the good fight. He says in verse 7, I fought the good fight. And this word fight, it doesn't always mean boxing. That's a lot of times what it would connotate or, or maybe wrestling or connote, I guess is the word. Anyway, it would bring that idea up to mind, fighting or boxing, but also um, any kind of athletic struggle. It's a word that has more of a general meaning of, of struggle and fight in that sense of just anything that's agonizing. It's the Greek word agona. We, we get agony from in English, you know, thousands of years later, but it's this, this struggle and strain. And it's used really for any kind of athletic contest or fight or wrestling match. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have hung in there and I have struggled. And, and when I think about that in, in the, the context of endurance, I think about Rocky. I don't know if any of you have seen the first Rocky movie. that uh, came out about 120 years ago. It was, it was before Rocky 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, it was Rocky 1. And uh, here's a picture of Rocky fighting Apollo Creed. And Rocky was kind of a nobody. And he had this chance to fight in this exhibition bout with the famous fighter, Apollo Creed. And it was this kind of tour that Apollo was doing. And he was fighting with no-name fighters just kind of for publicity and kind of seeing if the no-name little guys could hang with him. And so he was really just toying with Rocky in the beginning of the fight, but Rocky was really going at it. Rocky was really fighting. He was really struggling, trying to show that he could 
hang in there, that he could do it. And he, part of the excitement of the movie, I'll spoil it for you, is he makes it all, you know, all rounds. He makes it until the very end. It ends up being called a draw. But nobody thought he'd make it past the first or second round. And so it was this amazing fight that Rocky really struggled. And he really fought. And he really gave it all that he had. And that's what made that such a beautiful movie. And I want to encourage us that that's really what the Christian life should be like. I mean, we shouldn't be quarrelsome. You know, it's clear in the pastoral epistles that Christian leaders shouldn't be like fighting with everybody and quarrelsome. But the idea is that the Christian life is a struggle, that, that it's not easy, that we should fight against laziness, that we should fight against our own fears and fight against trying to always fulfill our own comfort, that the Christian life should be a struggle. And nobody said that it should be easy. And if they did say that, they were wrong. Those are what we call false teachers when they say it's just easy and everything's wonderful now. Um, the hope that we have in Christ is a future transformation, that, that all things will be made right in the future. And I want to challenge us about uh, those areas where we're not willing to struggle or we're not really willing to fight. I, I think sometimes a lot of us can become spiritually lazy. I know that happens to me sometimes. I, I just feel like God should just kind of transform me. And I shouldn't really have to work or struggle. But the scripture in, encourages us to, to struggle and to fight. And Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 9 about, he says, I, I've beat my body and I've made it my slave. And, and I've struggled and I've, I've fought to be disciplined, to continue to follow Christ. And we make it very clear here and we say every week that it's, we are not saved, we're not sanctified by our own strength. We are saved by God's strength. But Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that that grace at work within us makes us work harder than everybody else. And that grace enables us, empowers us, inspires us to work so that we do struggle. It's because of God's grace. It's because of what he's done for us. But we will fight. We will struggle. We won't just be lazy. And I want to encourage you to continue that struggle, to continue to challenge yourself with Scripture, to continue to try to learn what God desires for your life. I think a lot of times where this comes into play too is our lifestyle choices. Um, one of the things that can be difficult for a church like our church is, is what we try to do on purpose is to strip away traditions. You know, we, we don't want to make this a church where we say, come be like us and practice our strange cultural traditions, you know, from the certain time and place. But we want to point people to follow Christ and not just follow our traditions and, and our rituals. But what can happen is in a church like that is we embrace people as they are, and that's great, but then people can become spiritually lazy and never actually change their lifestyles. Uh, if, if you're here and, and you want to follow Christ, that often means living differently. That, that means aligning your life with God's commands and with God's word. What does that look like in how you engage in relationships with each other? How pure are your relationships with the opposite sex? What about the entertainment choices that we make? I think that's one area that's real easy to just think, ah, it doesn't matter, you know, it's just entertainment. But these little choices that we make now can become bigger choices down the road. And if we don't begin to, to fight and to struggle with how we live our life and how we direct our life now, then, then things can get off course down the road. And I think that brings us to our, to our next point. Paul says it's not just like a fight, not just a struggle, but it's also like a race. It's a course that you have to finish. He says, I've finished the race, and, and now encouraging Timothy to do the same and encouraging us to do the same. There's, there's a race marked out for us. I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, cartoon, You're the Greatest, Charlie Brown. Anybody seen that one? It's a classic. It's really good. Okay, I'm dating myself, I guess. But, but in this one, in You're the Greatest, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown gets on the track team, and he's doing quite well in the track team. And in this one race, he's actually winning the race. And he's so blown away and in such ecstasy that he's winning the race that he kind of starts to lose track of the track. He starts to get off course. And you can see he's the one wandering off on the far right side. You know, every track has the part that loops around and then it has the straightaway for the other races. And he just starts to drift off on the straightaway and then go off down this trail. And before you know it, he's drifted completely. He's no longer on track anymore. And that can happen to us. I want to challenge you to finish well. Don't just run the race well at the beginning. Don't just, you know, follow Christ and, oh, I'm all excited to follow Him and be passionate about Him, but, but continue. Continue to plod. Continue to follow Him even when it's difficult, to stay on course and to finish well. 
as I said already, these little decisions that we make now may take us this much off course. And we may think it's not that big of a deal, but, but those take us farther and farther off course as we move down the road. I think one of the big ways that we get off course is we forget uh, to see our life as a mission and as a sacrifice. And we start to see our life as just an opportunity to fulfill self. I think as men get older, a big way that this happens is we look forward to retirement and we look forward to, to finding uh, the reward, the earthly reward for all the hard work that we, we put in. And there's nothing wrong with retirement, but what's wrong is, is seeing that you deserve something at a certain point in time. God's made us to work. He's made us to be a sacrifice, and your whole life should be a sacrifice. Yeah, you can retire from this job, but, but God has work for you to do. Don't just stop working. Don't just say, okay, at this point, I get to just sit back and, and fulfill all my fun desires. No, God has work for you to do. Continue to pursue Him, no matter what vocation you may have. And I think that's a difficult one. That's a difficult area for a lot of men to finish well in. As they start to think at some point, this kind of life is owed to them. And with a lot of men, you see this at the midlife crisis where the men think, okay, a new family is owed to me. God says, continue to press. Continue to work hard. Finish the race. Be faithful with what God has given you. Don't trade in this life for what you think maybe you deserve. But continue to be faithful to the Lord. I think a lot of times for women, uh, a difficult area where you can veer off course is with your families. Because God gives us this love for our families. And we talked about this a little bit at Mother's Day. But, but God, if you, if you are a mother, God may give you this desire to love and care for your family well. And, and that desire can turn into something that's a little off course. It can start to drift where you believe that, that all of your identity is wrapped up in how well they're doing. And you can begin to try to control that situation, control those relationships and make them what you think they should be. Instead of sowing the gospel and trusting in God, you begin to sow your own flesh. As we saw in Galatians 6, you, you're sowing, you're planting towards your strength instead of planting towards the gospel and hoping in Jesus to, to change things. Speaking truth into people's lives and then letting God make the changes. And I think that's a difficult thing uh, for us as we get older. We begin to try to control. We see the time is running out and, and we want to change things. And I think that's, that's true for, for all the sexes. And whether you're married or whether you're single, we have this desire to, to fix things ourselves. God wants us to continue running the race but trusting Him for the results. As Paul talks about in the beginning of Corinthians, he says that, that He plants and another waters, but God gives the growth. So we keep working and we keep planting seeds and we keep sowing good things in people's lives. But we don't control it. We allow God to control it in the end. The last thing we see when he talks about what endurance looks like is, is keeping the faith. And this word can mean guarding, keeping, protecting. And when I think about this idea of, of keeping this faith, I think about uh, Emmett Smith. Uh, Emmett Smith was one of the greatest running backs of all time. I'm not going to get into an argument about whether he was the greatest running back or not. Um, I know we all have different opinions about that. Um, I do know Walter Payton did not fumble as much as Emmett Smith. Um, but Emmett Smith is the all-time leading rusher. He's the all-time leading rusher with over 18,000 yards. That translates into 10 miles. Walter Payton ran for 10 miles, getting knocked down by a 300-pound man about every four yards of that 10 miles. But he kept getting back up, and he kept protecting what he had been given to protect. He kept guarding that. He, kept, he was keeping what he had been given to protect. Just as Paul tells Timothy, guard this deposit that you've been given. Keep this faith that God has given to you. Protect the gospel at all costs. Uh, just to pick on another running back, a running back that's, that's well known for not protecting the ball is Adrian Peterson, right? When you compare Adrian Peterson's uh, career, of course he's only four years in, but when you compare Adrian Peterson, uh, he fumbles the ball after every 195 yards of rushing, whereas Emmett fumbled the ball after only 300 or 300 yards of rushing. And so Emmett did a better job of protecting the ball. I'm sure Adrian will get, get better and things will work out. Um, but, but our job is to protect what God has given to us. What is it that we are to protect? What is the ball? What is that thing that we're to protect? He says, keep the faith. Keep the faith. And I don't think he just means this in the general concept that we talk about of like, hang in there, you know. Stay faithful. Keep the faith. What, what he's saying is guard this 
faith. In the grammar, it's very important that he put the the on there. He's saying keep the faith. That, that matters. That's a grammatical statement he's making. He's saying the faith, this faith that we have in Jesus, this good news, this gospel we have that Jesus gave himself for us, keep it, guard it, protect that. No matter what you do, continue to protect that. I think there's two ways in life that we, that we tend to not protect that faith. And those are legalism and license. And we talk about that a lot. Legalism is where we trade the faith for our power to be religious. And so instead of keeping the faith that Jesus can do it for us, we begin to keep faith in our own strength to be strong enough, to be good law keepers, uh, to do what's right, to be religious enough, to be approved by God. God says no one can do that. Read, read Jesus' words to the Pharisees in, in Matthew 5 and 6. He makes it very clear that no one is good enough on their own strength. No one can keep the law well enough. God is absolutely perfect, and we need a perfect sacrifice, Jesus, to take our place. The, the other way that I think we veer off and we stop protecting the faith, we don't keep the faith as it is, is, is license. And what that looks like is kind of a romanticism. What that looks like is we glorify sincerity. We say, well, if someone's sincere, that's all you can ask, right? If someone follows their own heart. So it really doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle choices somebody makes or what people do in their life because sincerity is the ultimate goal of the universe and just following your heart. And so license says just do what feels right, and as long as you're sincere to you, then that's good. Well, that's not the faith. That's just faith in you. That's just faith in your own heart. But the gospel is faith in what God did for us, that, that we were sinners, that we have failed to, to do, to live, to be everything that God made us to be, but that God offers a sacrifice to take our place, that he gives us Jesus to take our place, not only to die and take our sin upon himself, but to live a perfect life, to give us his righteousness, and that's the hope that we have. As we, as we finish, I was just thinking about what it, what it looks like to endure. I'm, I'm not much of an endurance runner. We've talked about this. I, I ran track as a kid, but I always ran sprints a lot and would just you know cry when our coach would make us run more than two miles. Um, and so I've never run a marathon. Uh, don't plan on ever running a marathon. I'm lucky just to run a mile or two a day now you know, as an old man. Um, but I had a friend that ran a marathon when we were going through some of the strategic planning. One of our deacons, Chip Daniels, was training for a marathon. And so we'd have these meetings about strategic planning, and then he would kind of tell me about how his training was going. And then sometime in the winter, he actually ran the marathon. And uh, huge endurance. I mean, I was, I think it's like 26 miles, right? Is that right? Anybody here run a marathon before? Yeah, see, it's pretty rare. Just a few of you. And you're embarrassed about it, right? Um, but it, it's, a tough, it's a tough race. I mean, it's grueling. It is, it is endurance. You've got to endure. And, and Chip was talking about how people kind of start off cheery. Uh, and then, you know, the pack that's just doing the half... Half marathon breaks off around 13 miles, and then there's no more talking, there's no more smiles, and everybody kind of gets serious, and they just bear down to finish the rest of the marathon. And he said when he got to the finish line, when he got to the end, uh, his wife was kind of surprised that he wasn't, like, smiling, he didn't seem happy, he wasn't elated or anything. She's like, come on, you did it. And he was like, I, he just had nothing left. He said it was, it was anticlimactic, you know, he just, he just finished. He just kind of scowled and got in the car, and that was it. You know? they were, he was just done. He'd given everything he had there. But, but the, the promise that we have, the endurance that we have, isn't, isn't just this endurance for the sake of endurance. It's not just this kind of existential, just, just go out there and give yourself, and it might mean something someday. No, there's this promise that we look forward to. The gospel promises us this future hope, that all things will be made new, that, that things will be perfect. That at the end of our marathon, we don't just finish and feel like we want to die, but we're given a new body. We, we can taste and smell and feel things we, we never could before. That it's better than all we could ask or imagine. That, that we're transformed. As Paul describes it in verse 8, he says, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Now we are seen as righteous. We are seen by faith in Jesus as, as holy and as righteous as Jesus himself. We have an imputed righteousness that's given to us now. But, but in the end, we will be transformed. We will be made completely righteous. We really will be righteous. Now we have this righteousness, and it doesn't always work itself out. And, and we, are, we are continuing to struggle and to endure and trying to make right choices by faith in the righteousness that God has given us. 
But then, he says, we'll be given that crown of righteousness. He says, it's laid up for me this crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Here Paul is, he's facing an unrighteous judge in Nero, one of, one of the worst, most wicked Roman emperors of all time. So he's about to get killed by an unrighteous judge, but he knows he looks forward to this award from the righteous judge, who will give Paul, by grace, the gift of righteousness. He will be completely transformed. And this hope is not just for, for super apostles like the Apostle Paul. It's not just for super Christians. But Paul says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's the hope that all of us have that we look forward to this award, this transformation, that we will be made new, that we will be free from our struggles and from our sin, but that we will really be righteous. Everything will be done. Everything will be complete. Father, we, we're amazed uh, at this hope, and I pray that you would strengthen us to continue to endure. And we remember the promise of Psalm 23 that says that Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because you are with us. And Father, I pray that we would remember that, that we would endure because you are with us, knowing that nothing can separate us from your love, that we may face horrible things, we may, we may be living through horrible things now that we never thought we would have to endure, but that we can take hope because you are with us, that nothing can separate us from your love, and that we look forward to a future crown when all things will be made right. We thank you, and I pray that it would strengthen us to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will stand with us, we'll sing this last song. Just make this our prayer that we will give back the life that's been given to us. Singing out to us, church. Oh, 
giving yourself as a sacrifice. I pray that you would set us free to give ourselves to each other, to endure in this life, to be a blessing for others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.